Right now, if you have your Bibles, though, let's turn to Ephesians 5. Uh, we're going to take a little break. Uh, and by little break, I mean two weeks from the question of prayer. And the reason is, like I told you guys, uh, yesterday uh, I went and spoke at a church, did a, a conference on, on marriage uh, and family and, and just working through some of the, those things and, and why the subject was important. I realized a lot of what uh, I was sharing with them are things that I've shared variously with some of you couples uh, or families in, in the time that, that I've known you. Uh, but normally it's when things get difficult, right? And we sort of need a hard reset uh, in the home or we need just sort of a refresher about, you know, what is my purpose? Why are we here? What am I, what's my purpose as a wife? What's my purpose as a husband? Uh, and so I, as I was even getting ready uh, for this conference, I, I told everyone, hey, if you're free Saturday night, come join me in Norman. We're going to do this conference. And then I was like, later I was like, I rescind that invitation. You are not allowed to come, one, because it's late and I don't want you sleeping in on Sunday. Uh, but also because I realized, man, the church needs to hear this. Our church needs to be reminded of these things, especially, especially in the world we live in today. A world that so has a picture of marriage that is so skewed from the purpose of marriage. And we want to see just as we look at that. So today what we're going to look at is getting the gospel at the, the center of our homes. We're at two weeks. We're going to look at getting the gospel at the center of our marriages this week and then getting the gospel in the center of our home life with parents uh, and kids. And the, the reason is so many people in this world, we look at marriage the wrong way. The world obviously has marriage backwards. Like, I don't have to convince you of that. I don't have to show you. You guys wouldn't believe what the world thinks about marriage. And you guys are like, oh, shocking. Uh, like, I don't have to tell you any of those things. That The world is going to pervert a picture that is supposed to be a picture of the gospel. That's not unintentional for, for Satan to, to distort something that is supposed to be a picture of Christ uh, and the church. But, but if we're not careful, what we'll do is... If we haven't established in our own heads what marriage is, we will just by default take on these images that we've seen in movies, that we've had in conversations, you know. We're like, I, I learned about, even if you learn about what marriage is from like really good Hallmark movies, right? Like that may not be what the Bible says that marriage is. You don't have to just wait for some sailor who's, you know, uh, lonely and you go out and then you find, you know, I, I'm sure that's all the Hallmark movies ever are basically like that. Uh, but if we're going to make sure that our homes are doing marriage rightly, we have to understand what marriage is a picture of. If we're going to understand what we're supposed to be doing, we need to make sure that our understanding of marriage comes from Scripture's definition of marriage and not the world's, not even our own. Right? Not even if you're like, hey, I don't take the world's picture. I kind of got my own idea. Like we want to, we want to throw all that stuff away all the expectations of what is a wife supposed to be, what is a husband supposed to be, and we're going to tell you what God says you're supposed to be and why. Why? Why are we supposed to be these things? Why, why does the Bible list these things out? And so that's why we're in Ephesians chapter 5. I mean, this is that classic, I mean, if you're going to learn about a topic, it's always good to go to passages where the Lord speaks extensively about a topic, where he's intentionally teaching us about something. Here the Lord's intentionally teaching us about marriage. But one thing we can do when reading Ephesians 5 
is often when we look at Ephesians 5, we just think it's like a delineation of duties, right? So we'll go, we'll go to verse 22 and say, all right, what, what are wives supposed to do? Wives are supposed to submit. And then we go, yada, yada, yada. Okay, where's the thing about what husbands are supposed to do? All right, we get down to verse uh, 25. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, got that. So wives are supposed to submit. Husbands are supposed to love. Now I know what marriage is supposed to do. But, but in reality, if we'll step back from just looking at the question of our roles and see what Ephesians 5 is trying to do, which is to get us to the root of those roles. Why are wives submitting? Why are husbands loving their wives? What is that trying to be a picture of? This is not God just telling us, all right, you do this and you do that. It is you do this because, and the answer is because of the gospel. And you husbands do this Why? Because of the gospel, that each one of these roles at marriage is going to be like this gospel play that we're working out. And each of us is given a role to display the gospel clearly in our homes. And if we'll understand that these are about portraying the gospel in our home to ourselves, to our children, to the world around us, that will help us better understand why do wives do this? Why do husbands do that? Uh, In fact, if we don't understand that, we're going to get frustrated in our roles and we're never going to fulfill the the purpose of, of marriage, which is to display this picture of Christ. So let's see this. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. We'll start with verse 22. And, and we'll move down all the way through the end of verse 33. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, we we come to you today as we hear from your word. And God, we know that uh, if we're going to learn anything from your word, your spirit is going to have to teach it to us. And so I pray that you and faithfulness will will discipline and instruct us in this word that we have today, that we would be uh, godly husbands, godly wives, uh, each of us striving to portray the gospel the best in our home uh, that we can, that that would be our great goal, not just some sort of personal satisfaction, but, but a gospel proclamation. So help us do that, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so normally when we're looking at this passage, I mean, if you just take 
Ephesians 5, and you start with those first couple verses, verse 22, down, and then verse 25, you get, uh, and then you get the, the, the last sentence down in verse 33, you get pretty good, a pretty good sort of practical picture of what wives and what husbands are supposed to do, that wives, you know, are supposed to submit, that husbands are supposed to love, and then that sort of is all summarized, and you know, how do you do that in verse 33, uh, husbands, you know, however husbands love your wives as, as yourself, and, and and wives see that you respect uh, your husband. So like at, at a surface level, it is sort of a, you know, here's your responsibilities. Now, now do them, do these things. And, and we don't want to downplay that. We don't want to get so into the gospel picture that we don't realize God is giving us instructions. These are things he wants us to do. He's not just telling us to sort of contemplate the gospel the whole time we're in marriage. He's saying if the gospel is going to be central, and we're going to see that each of these roles, each of these responsibilities is centered on that gospel and and springs forth from that gospel, if we're really thinking about the gospel, here's how we will act these things out. Uh, And so today we're going to look at uh, the gospel and, and marriage Again, that marriage is this gospel play. It is depicting our various jobs uh, and roles. Now, we're going to see as we walk through Ephesians 5, we may not have caught it going through it, but Ephesians 5 describes marriage as a history of the gospel. If, if we look back at Ephesians 5, we're going to see that it, it, it talks about, I mean, Paul ties the gospel to, to, or marriage to the past work of Christ, the present work of Christ, the future work of Christ, that in your marriage, you are displaying past, present, and future what Christ is doing in the church. I mean, this is a, your marriage is going to be a full-orbed picture of the history of salvation for God's people. And so if we'll remember that, then we'll recognize that my job in marriage, why am I doing this? Why do I submit to this person? Why do I love this person? Why should I respect this person? Why should I give myself up for this person? Because I am trying not to just be satisfied in marriage, although that is an ancillary thing that happens. A godly marriage is a good marriage. But also because my job in life is to proclaim the gospel. And so as a wife, this is how I proclaim the gospel of Christ best. As a husband, my job as a believer in Jesus Christ is to give everything for the sake of his name. And he has told me the best way to do that, that in being a good husband, I can proclaim the past, present, and future work of Christ for his church. And there is no greater blessing than that. So what will I do? I will love my wife. And so we begin, marriage begins by looking at, I mean, when we look at at verse 22, he begins with talking about how marriage is a picture of our present reality in Christ. The, The marriage relationship is actually displaying who we are right now in Christ. And it begins by saying that our present reality as believers is seen in the wife. So look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why? 
For the husband is, so here we're going to see all present tense sort of discussions. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So wives are to submit. Why? What does he equate the submission of wives to? He says wives are submitting because that's what the church is currently doing to Christ that the church is supposed to be submitting to Christ now why does the church submit to Christ because Christ is its what Christ is its head and so just as the the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and again you can see the present reality of all these things Christ is our head and we are his body that is not a past truth that's not a future hope it's not saying we were his body but now we're not it's not saying that one day we will be his body and he will be our head no it's saying right now that's the reality Christ is our head as a church body Christ is the head of his people and so wives submit to their husbands because their husband is serving in that picture currently in their marriage and so what is the head doing? He says, is, is the head and is himself, this is the end of verse 23, its savior. And so the wife is submitting. She's submitting to someone whose job is to lead. That's what the head does, right? The head leads, it guides. But where is the head leading? The head is leading to her salvation, the head is supposed to be guiding the home toward her salvation. Now, and so, hus- first, so let's start with the first thing to husbands here. I know this is about the wives, but husbands, realize this. That you, you cannot see yourself as the head of your wife if you're not taking the purpose of that head, which is to lead to her salvation. Your job is not just to be this head that sits on top of the body. What has Christ made the head to do? What does the head currently do right now? What is Christ doing? Christ is the head and is himself its savior. That the head leads towards salvation. That that's the goal. Husbands, your job is not just to to lead any old way you please. Your job is to be leading the wife towards salvation. That's going to become more clear in just a second. But right now he's focusing on the wife. So it continues, verse 24. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So the wife submits to her husband today. Why? Because today the church is submitting to Christ. Verse verse 23 was about what Christ is doing today for his people. And verse 24 is how the church is supposed to be responding to that Savior today. So wives are supposed to submit to their husbands today because that's what the church is supposed to be doing today. Now, Now recognize this. This is the importance of church life in this too. The reason wives are supposed to submit is because they're supposed to be a picture of what the church is doing. And so churches, this is your responsibility here. Churches that fail to submit to the Lord in their life now will grow women that fail to submit to their husbands. 
It, it, think about it. If the church is not submitting to the substance, if the church fails in their life to submit to Christ, what makes us think that we're going to grow women who will want to submit to the shadow that their husband is? Church, if we will not be a church of submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not teaching our wives to be submissive to their husbands. We are already eschewing that gospel picture. And so husbands, if you, if you want your wife to submit to you, and hopefully you want that, not because you want someone submitting to you, but if you want your wife to display that picture of the gospel in your home, you had better make sure that you are setting the example of yourself submitting to Christ in everything. I mean, think about it. Shame on any man who expects submission from his wife while himself refusing to submit to Christ. And husbands, your submission had better be leading her to salvation. Again, this is not just do what I say. This is do what I say because what I say will ever and always be seeking your best. Your wife better be able to see that in you because she surely sees that in Christ. And wives, if you, if you want to see your husband submit more to Christ, what can you do? Let's say you're like, it's so hard. It's so hard to submit to him because he's not submitting to Christ. It makes it very difficult, right? Paul talks about this, 1 Corinthians 7. It's a very difficult thing. But if you want a husband that, that will see that gospel picture, how can you display it? Not by just saying, you need to submit to Christ. You need to submit to Christ. You need to submit to Christ. You, want, you should do that if he's not. But also what? You submitting in the home will display that gospel picture even to an imperfect representative. And wives, just in terms of your Christian growth, one of the best ways for you to grow your own submission to Christ is to practice submitting to your husband's. That when you submit to your husband, when you work out that picture of submission, it is setting you up for the greater submission that's going to come in submitting to Christ. It is is developing the story of the gospel in in you and in everything that you do. So so marriage is displaying that current reality, a a church that submits to a head that that saves. Uh, And in our homes, that present reality is supposed to be seen in our actions and in our motivations that wives are submitting to their husbands. Why? Because this is the role that Christ has given her in this gospel play. And again, that's so important to recognize. Like, like if, let's say there really was a play, right? Like God's like, I'm going to put on a play and I need parts. Uh, and someone was like, who wants to play the bride of Christ? Like none of us would be like, not me. I don't want to play that. Uh, I'm looking for, and if he, if he came to us and said, Hey, you know, I've got, I want you to play the, the bride of Christ in this play in your home. We would be ecstatic. And if he said, well, your job is going to be to play the role of the church submitting to me, you'd go, yes, I don't care. 
What a great, I can't believe I get to play the bride of Christ in this. And this is why, again, if we get our eyes off of the gospel and we make the story that we're telling in our homes our story, right? What are people going to think about me when I, what are they going to think about my life when I'm gone? What am I saying? You know, what is my history? Instead of thinking I'm laying down everything in my life. I want, when I die, I want people to see the gospel in my home. Well, God says, this is what you do. Here's the role I've given you. Wife, you submit. And when you do, the gospel will be proclaimed in your home. And if Christ is the greatest desire in your life, and if proclaiming him is what you want, then you will with joy submit to your husband because, you know, ultimately what you're doing is portraying the beautiful picture of the bride that submits to the bridegroom. But we've got to have that at the forefront of what we're doing. We've got to understand this is not some denigration of women. This is a, this is a wonderful, wonderful role that we have been given in telling of the gospel, the gospel story. But that was addressing the role of the wife. What about the role of the husband? That's the next thing. And what's interesting is in switching to the role of husband, he also switches tenses of the verbs. He goes from talking about present things to past things that have happened and so the focus moves to christ's past sacrifice so in talking to the wife it was all present this is who the church is wives submit why because this is what the church is doing and so wife realize that what you're doing is is portraying that picture of what the church does right now husbands here's your role and it's going to be about what christ has done so so look at verse 25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here again, we see that switch, not on the present, but on the past. Husbands, love as Christ loved, not as Christ loves, although Christ obviously still does love the church, right? But, But Paul intentionally uses this past action that the husband's present work is based not on what Christ is doing or or will do, but what Christ has already done. So husbands, you love because that's what Christ did for the church. That's what Christ has done for you. And if you've been loved, then your job is to what? Love. I mean, this is the exact same thing that John talks about in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. What does he say? We love, why? Because he first loved us. So if God has loved you, husbands, uh, if he has loved his church, what is your job in serving in that role? Your job is to love. And husbands, you, you surely cannot doubt that Christ has loved you. And if you cannot doubt the love of Christ for you, then you cannot doubt your duty your responsibility to love your wife, to love her like Christ loved the church. A husband who is in the home but is not loving his wife is proclaiming not, not, not his ability to stay. He is proclaiming the insufficiency of Christ's love and is in truth being an absolute hypocrite because what you'd be proclaiming is Christ did not love me enough 
for me to love you because I know my responsibility is to love like Christ loved me. But that love of Christ is not enough to have me love you. I know I'm supposed to love you like Christ loved the church, but and I'm supposed to mirror that love, but I just can't do that toward you. Or, or the idea of, you know, yes, Christ loved me, but, you know, he didn't have to put up with a bride like you. And we laugh because we, 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 I would say we wouldn't say that, but I, I mean, I'm pastor. I've been in enough arguments to know sometimes you will say that. We would say that's ridiculous to even think that. But in truth, if we're looking at our wives and not loving them, that's exactly what we're saying. So there's nothing, nothing your wife can do to you that makes you not loving her a reasonable action and definitely not a godly action. Her sin against you, whatever it may be, will never be able to match your sin against Christ and yet he loved you. And if God can love you in spite of the greatness of your sin, there's absolutely zero reason, husbands, that you can look at your wife and the first thing you think is, I don't love her. If you do, that is not only a shame on you, that is a shame on the gospel of Jesus Christ because you're saying the gospel of Christ is not powerful enough for me to love you. Again, the, 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 the definition here is not that Christ stayed with his wife. The definition is Christ loved her. So husband, if Christ has so loved you and if that past love changed everything for you, then you are commanded to love your wife as much as you have been loved. I'm just asking that you be as understanding and gracious and loving to your wife as Jesus is to you. Now, if you get to a point that you say, I am loving her as much as Jesus loved me, and frankly, I'm out of love, uh, well, then we can talk about that. Because the truth is, you'll never get there. You'll never get there. Where you're like, I'm actually loving her more than Jesus loved me. Uh, I'm meeting that command, and I've decided to stop. It's not going to happen. But but what's interesting is is I'm kind of fudging it a little bit here, because... Notice, notice the, the selfless aspect here. It's not really that, that we love because Christ has loved you. Here we see the responsibility part. You're loving because Christ has loved his church. So the motivation in love in loving your wife is less about reciprocating what has been done for you and more just a simple responsibility here. You, you have a job here, husbands. You have a job in the home. This is a job he's given. It may seem like love isn't a job. But some of you know, yes, love is very much a job sometimes. It is a requirement. It is your responsibility. You are supposed to, in the home, be a model, a picture of Christ's love for his bride. That's your responsibility. And you can't pawn that off. You can't say, well, the bride is unlovely. You can't say, but the bride has done this. Look, if your job is to portray Christ and his love for the church, then you have to love your wife. You have to love your bride. 
Not just because that's what Christ did for you, but because that's your job. And if Christ loved the church, then you better love your wife. And if you don't, you're not just forgetting about what he's done for you. You're actually demeaning the name and work of Jesus Christ. A husband with little love for his wife is portraying a Christ who has little love for his church. That's what you're testifying with your life. You may say, well, I'm not intending to testify that. It doesn't matter what you're intending to testify. You've been given this role and you can put someone on stage. Let's imagine this is that stage play again and you've got the wife and you've got the husband and they're portraying this picture of the gospel for the world to see and and the husband can get up here. He may not intend to flub his lines, but he flubs his lines, right? It's still giving a bad picture of the gospel. So husbands, you are commanded here for the name of Christ to love your wives. If you've been loved, then you must love. And if you're a husband married to a bride, then you just have the simple responsibility to love because that's what Christ did for his church. But but it didn't just stop with love, does it? Christ loved, but what else did he do? He gave himself up for her. So the love we see here for in in your home is not just supposed to be theoretical, right? Because you can say, which is what I did growing up because I knew I was supposed to love everyone in the church. I would say, I love this person. I remember having the discussion one time with my youth minister uh, saying, okay, can I love them but not like them? Uh, Because I know I'm commanded to love, but I don't ever see a command to like them. Uh, And he should have just slapped me uh, and said, hypocrite, get out of here. Uh, But instead, I think he just looked at me and said, that's the dumbest question I've ever heard. Uh, And so he was right. He was right. Uh, So this this idea here isn't just that you say you love her, but you show it. And how does Christ show that he loved his bride? Not just saying he loved her. But that love is clearly seen in that he gave himself up for her. So husbands, your love is to be seen, not just in saying, oh, I love my wife. It's to be seen in your responsibility, which is to give yourself up for your wife. This is is why I think we've so lost the gospel in these verses. We so missed it. We've so quit reading after verse 22 And the call for wives to submit that we think the hardest thing in this passage is for wives to submit to husbands. The the only reason the world can can latch on to, you know, this this heinous idea of submitting. Is because Christian husbands haven't been taking up the far greater call to give up themselves for their wives. What is it talking about when it says he gave himself up? It's saying he died for her. And if more Christian men were giving them, if more Christian men were dying for their wives, no one in this world would would question Christian wives submitting to those types of men. If those Christian men were truly leading in a way that deserves submission, then the world would the world would have no problem with Christian wives submitting to Christian men because they look at all those Christian men. They are dying for the sake of their wives. And that's what Christ did. He tells us that. He said he gave himself up for her. Well, how do we know he died? Because he said in Ephesians 5.2, that's exactly what he did. 
So just previously in the chapter, look at what it says. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us. So again, that's exactly what he's going to say later on in this chapter. And what is he doing? Gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Husbands, you are supposed to give yourself up for your wife. That means husbands. Your life is supposed to be an offering. You are supposed to sacrifice your life. You, if once you get married, you say, I didn't know this is what I was doing in marriage. I didn't know what I was signing up for. I don't care. This is what we're called to do. And this is far greater than anything you thought you were signing up for. If you can look at this and think that's a worse life than what I was going to have. I wanted marriage to be about this and I wanted to do this. Look, this is the greatest thing you can do with your life. The greatest thing you can do, husbands, is to love your wives and sacrifice everything to God for her. To let your life be a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Husbands, that's what we get to do. That's what you're, if you want to be in your home and you want to display Christ, and so you think what I'll do is I'll sort of lead and she'll submit and it'll be this great picture, you had better be leading by dying. By dying to yourself. Not just dying to yourself, but dying for her sake and for the sake of the Lord God. Husbands, you give yourself up because you love your wife and you love your God. You give yourself up, not just because she deserves it, but because God does. And that's, you can always be able to look at your wife and go, well, does she deserve it? Does she deserve for me? I've given up so much for her. She doesn't deserve me to give up anymore. You're not just giving it up for her. Ephesians 5.2. What did it say? It says, Christ loved and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. She may not deserve it, but God always will. God will always deserve for you to give up everything for your bride. Every goal, every ambition, everything you thought you wanted life to be, give it all up to proclaim the gospel of Christ in your home. If you don't die for the sake of your wife, guys, it's not showing your lack of love for your wife. It's ultimately showing your lack of love for God. And so if if Christian, that's why I said, if Christian husbands were giving themselves up for their wives, no one would have any ammunition to question submission to husbands. I mean, think about it. Does anyone ever question submission to Christ? Does anyone ever look at us and go, you know, go, I can't believe they submit to that Jesus guy. That's a little cringy. No one ever questions Christians. Why do, why do people, I heard, I was watching an apologetics thing the other day and it was, it was at a, like a big gay pride parade and everyone was like despair, like yelling at this guy for sharing the gospel. And, and, and you know who everyone still said they love though? Jesus. And everyone was like, I like Jesus, but I hate you, what you're saying. And he's like, I'm literally just telling you what Jesus said. But why do people not have a problem with Jesus? Because Jesus gave himself up. Like everyone's like, that's great. No one questions the love of Christ for his church. No one questions someone who dies for someone else. And, 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 and no one, uh, husbands, 
No one is going to question a, a wife submitting to you if they see you dying for her. Because death is always greater than submission. And husbands, if you're, if you're dying is not obvious to your wife, then don't be shocked when her submission is anything less than obvious to you. Because the truth is, she may be making small the bride. And wives, you are making small the bride if you refuse to submit to your husbands. But husbands, you're doing something far worse. You're making small, you're mocking the groom when you fail to do your job of loving her and giving yourself up for her. But, but Christ's past actions, so there's the present, there's the past. Next, uh, Paul's going to shift to sort of this future idea. You know, the, why did Christ give himself up? And, and here we're going to see that, that marriage is a, a picture of our future hope, really of Christ's future faithfulness and what Christ is doing and going to do in his bride. So you see verse 26, why does he love her? Why does he give himself up for her? Why did he do those things that he might do these things? Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So Christ gave himself up, this offering to God, gave himself up for his wife. But again, it wasn't, it wasn't just God alone that he had in mind. It is for the sake of his bride. And he died so that his bride might be holy. It says that he might, and this, you know me, you know I hate the word sanctify. I just think it's a confusing word that for years we just talked about what does the word sanctification mean? What does it not mean? It's just so clear when we get to just the original language and see that the word sanctification is just the word always translated holy in every other use. So that's why I use the word holification. It seems dumb, the word holification, but so did the word sanctification when someone first started using it too. Uh, but it gets across the idea, what is our sanctification? When you see that word in scripture, when you see it translated that way, choosing the Latin instead of the Greek, whatever, uh, what is the purpose of it? It is to make us holy. That's what the husband, he is doing this, that he might make her holy. So husbands, your job is to die to yourself so that your wife might be more holy. Here again, we see you, your life is totally given up for your wife, for her good. Do you die for the name of God? Yes, it is an offering and a sacrifice to him. But also the reason you die, what is the purpose behind you dying every day, husband? Your goal is to look at your wife and your desire should be, I want her to be more holy. That's what I want for her. That's my goal for her. That's my desire for her is that she would be more holy. So husbands, your job is to die to yourself so that your wife, your wife's Christian growth, her holification might be greater. And how did Christ do that? So if that's what you want to do, okay, I want my wife to be more holy. I desire that. My, my job is to portray this picture of Christ, Christ who dies so that his wife might grow spiritually. It's not just about me. It's about her. So I'll give up everything in my life to make, to make her more holy. Well, how do I do that? Well, what does he say? By cleansing her. And how does he cleanse her? By washing her with the water of the word. Now here, again, I love that that word wash is, is different from the word we normally get to like wash a, a part of your body. Uh, this, is, this is a word that, that, is, that means to bathe something. 
And I, I so wish it was translated that way because I think it gets far better across what, what Paul is trying to say. The, 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 the job of the husband is not some halfway washing of your wife. Your job, husband, is to bathe your wives in the word. That's your responsibility. Not to just make sure she has a rag and can touch a little part of her body. Not just cleaning her nails. Your job is to bathe you, you Christian husbands, you need to be baptizing your wife in the word of God. That's your job. You need to be plunging her into its pages. If you're going to be portraying Christ in the home, your job is to give yourself up so that she might be more holy. How do you do that? By cleansing her, by bathing her, in the water of the word. That's your job. And so husbands, if you want the gospel in your home, you need to be bathing your wife with the word of God. It is your job. Your responsibility in the home is to pursue her holiness. It is not husbands, your job to passively see if she's washing herself which has somehow become the Christian standard. I saw my wife had her Bible open today. I guess that assumes, I can assume she was washing herself. So I've done my responsibility as a husband. No, your job, your job, you wash her. That's your job. That's your task. Not just to make sure she, it's not your job to ask even if she wash. Right? I'll, be, I'll be a really active Christian husband. I'm going to be like, hey, did you read your Bible today? Like she's some sort of stinky teenager that you've got to check and make sure that, did you do it? Did you? That's not what the, that is not what the scripture says here. What does it say God has given you your responsibility to do? You bathe your wife. And sadly, husbands have abdicated this role. We have become passive in the holiness of our wives. And we think we're being faithful husbands if we have our Bibles open. It doesn't say, husband, your job is to bathe yourself and hope that your wife sees how clean you are and she wants to be clean too. It's not, husband, see if your wife had a rag out with a little soap on it. You know, you see she got her Bible study in her journal. Woo, she's washing herself. I can go and do whatever I want to as a husband. Your job as a husband is to bathe your wife. And if you're not bathing your wife with the word, you are not living out Christ in your home. If you have given up that role, then you've given up the role of Christ. We have become passive. We have become feminine in in the leading of our wives in the word. And sadly, the church has taught us to be that in many ways. The church has told us that women need to be taught by women. And this is going to get me into a whole thing about this is why, you know, the idea of specific ministries for specific ages or specific genders. One problem with something like the, the women's ministry movement is that it has subliminally taught men that they don't understand what women go through or what women need. And so it's like they're taught that men can't wash women. Women need women to wash women. But, but, but so that's part of the problem. The real, I mean, let's get to the root of it, though. Why'd that even spring up? The root of that problem is an even greater one. 
That women's ministries actually sprouted up because men were failing to bathe their wives. And so someone had to wash them. So it's, it's like, like Deborah in Judges here. Women were forced to fill in where men had failed. A, a female ruler is, is judgment on a nation. And in many ways, women's ministry is judgment on the state of the Christian husband. Again, we're going to walk away from this just remembering that Chris said that women's ministries are judgment of the Lord. I mean, that'd be fine too. So husbands, your job, your job, not anybody else's, yours. You can't give it up to anybody else. You can't give it up to her. You can't give it up to anyone outside the home. Your job is to bathe your wife in the word. And wives, let me come to you. Your job is to let them. And I, and I say this, because you'll say, you'll say, oh, I want that. I've been praying for that. I'd, oh, I'd so love it if my husband would lead me in these things. I, you know, I've got the bar of soap just waiting for him to bathe me. I'd, I'd love him to bathe me in the, in the water of the word. That's what I want. It's what I desire. But I'll tell you this. There's very rarely been a time in my pastoring of any couple where a husband has begun this and didn't meet pushback from his wife when he did. I mean, I've even had times where men have come to me just sort of weeping because they want to do this in their homes. They don't know how. They're, they're new at this, but they know their job is to bathe their wife in the word, and they, they want to do it, and their, their wives say, look, look, I've been doing this a whole lot longer than you, Right? Now you're coming in and you're going to tell me how to do my Bible. You want to lead the Bible study now? I know how to lead a Bible study to myself, right? I know how to bathe myself. And, you know, I've got the journals to prove it, right? Wives, let your husbands bathe you. Husbands, pick up the soap and bathe your wife. Don't make your wives have to turn to someone else to be washed with the water of the word. Don't make them turn to themselves. Don't make them turn to someone outside the home. You, your job, if you want to be Christ in the home, is you be the one bathing your wife with the word. But Christ doesn't just give himself up for, for the sake of the church. Why does he wash, uh, why does the groom wash the bride? Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and wish, without blemish. So yeah, it's for the sake of the, of the Lord God. That's Ephesians 5 too. It's for the sake of his bride that he might make her holy, but it's also for his own sake. That Christ bathed his bride, he gave himself up for her, that he might present the church to whom? To himself. Christ died so that his bride might be splendid. Not just any bride. He's making splendid, not some other dude's bride. He's washing his bride. And husbands, do this. If you will take the the role of you bathing your wife, of you washing her in the water of the word, of you portraying Christ in the home who who washes, who takes an active role in making sure that that, that his his wife is being washed with the word. If you do that, that's going to be good for you. There's going to be a glory in that for you. That's what, I mean, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4 
says an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Or, or how about Proverbs 31? We, Proverbs 31 woman that we love. What does it say? An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. Husbands, loving your wife like Christ loved the church, giving yourself up for her will be for your good. It's going to be for your good. It is a glorious thing to have a splendid wife. And he, mentioned, he mentions the typical physical characteristics, right? That she doesn't have any wrinkles or, or any spots. But Paul is clear that the, the splendor he's worried about, the spots and wrinkles are not physical splendor, but spiritual. Because he says that she might be without spot uh, or wrinkle, that she might be what? That she might be holy, that she might be without blemish. That's what he's really seeking. He's not worried about physical spots or physical wrinkles. He's worried about, he's worried about her, her being spiritually flawless, spiritually holy. A holy wife is a splendid thing. And it's a glory to you, husbands. I mean, we think we're giving ourselves up for them, and we are. But we're going to get back. It is glory for you to lay down your life that your wife might be a splendid and glorious thing. Flawless, holy. So husbands, giving yourself up for your wife is for your own good. And, and that's actually where Paul focuses a lot. I mean, down into verse 28 through verse 30, right? That, that, that giving yourself up for your wife is actually for your good. So verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members, ultimately what? Of his body. Husbands should realize that the labors they do for their wife, the, the sacrifices they make for their wives are actually benefiting them. When they give themselves up for her, it is not, they are not giving themselves up for someone other. Someone distinct from them. Because their wives, he says, are their body. And that's what he said about Christ in verse 23, right? That Christ is the head of the church, his body. And so husband, to love your wife, he says, is ultimately to love yourself. So if you're not loving your wife, you are an absolute fool. Because who you're really ultimately not loving is you. He says, no one hates his own flesh. No one does that. Instead, what do they do? He says, when it's your own flesh, you nourish it and you cherish it. He says, well, that's what Christ does with the church. And that's what you are to do with your body, your wife. I mean, husbands, there's just a, there's just a common sense thing here that we're called to do. This isn't, this isn't purely sacrificial. The, the husband who doesn't love his wife, who doesn't give himself up for her, who doesn't cleanse her with the water, who doesn't care about her holy vacation is again a foolish man. Because you're not only failing her, you're not only failing the gospel, you're failing yourself. Paul says you are hating yourself when you fail to fulfill your role of loving your wife, of giving yourself up for her by bathing her in the word, that she might be splendid, that she might have no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
that she might be holy and without blemish. That if you're not doing that, you're not just failing her. You're not just failing the gospel. You're failing yourself. You're hating yourself because she is you. This is that great mystery, right? She'll leave father and mother and cling to his wife. What? And the two shall become one flesh. He says, this mystery is profound. That's exactly what's happening in Christ and the church. And that's what's happening in your homes. So husbands, don't fail your wives. Don't fail your savior. Don't fail yourself. So what can we see from this this picture in Ephesians 5 to, to wrap us up here? The, the, the big sort of picture that we get from Paul in understanding marriage is marriage is not some sort of psychological puzzle that we have to unlock. What does my wife need? What do I need? This isn't trying to figure out each other's love languages or what planet men are from and what planet women are from. It's not any of those sorts of things. Marriage is a responsibility. It is a gospel job. And we, we cannot overemphasize the importance of what we're doing in our homes. In your marriage, this is what you, you know, we always want to say, God, what is your will for my life? Can you get a far greater will from the Lord than, hey, live out the gospel in your home. I'm going to let you be a picture of the past, present, and future story of what I do for my church. And this is the role I give you. Husband, here it is. Wife. Here it is. Live that out. And this, the truth is, this is the, this is the primary question for the health of your marriage. If you want to know, do I have a healthy marriage? You need to ask, what gospel picture is your marriage proclaiming? Husbands, what are you teaching your wives about who Jesus is? By the way you treat them. Your life is saying something about Christ. What are you teaching your wives about who Jesus is by how you treat her? Because that's the role you've been given. That's the job you've been given. Is Jesus aloof to his wife? Does Jesus see his wife as a problem? Does he see her as a burden? Or does Jesus love his wife and give himself up for her? Does he bathe her with the water of the word? Does he seek her holiness? Is he willing to die for her sake? Because he knows that she is him. Wives, what are your actions saying about the church of Jesus Christ? When you respond to your husband, when he tries to lead or when he doesn't. What is how you respond? What sort of picture is that painting of the bride of Jesus Christ? At the end of your life, you will, have, you will have had this task. Your life, wife, is to say something about Christ's bride. When you die, what will your life as a wife have proclaimed about the gospel of Jesus Christ and his bride? And not just, not just to each other. What, what is your marriage displaying to your children? I mean, we want to talk, I mean, we can talk about this as a gospel play. Who are the primary, who is the primary audience that the Lord in his sovereignty has said, I'm going to give you this gospel play and then I'm going to sovereignly give you this audience who's going to see it every day, right? And you can't say, uh, 
The show doesn't start until 7 p.m., right? Shows are only on Sunday mornings, kids. Uh, your life is displaying to these kids who are watching every second and listening behind every closed door, right? They're hearing sometimes just the radio version of the gospel play. Uh, what are they seeing? What are they hearing? What gospel picture are you portraying? And it's not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not talking about the gospel that they read about in their children's Bibles. I'm not talking about what gospel are they getting. It's, I'm sure just eloquently coming off your lips very well explained to them laying out salvation and saying the Christian I'm not talking about I'm talking about the gospel that they see in your flesh and blood in your relationship with one another the real life picture of the gospel not just what you say not just what you have them read what they see in your life what picture of the gospel are they getting dads what what will your kids think about who Jesus is because of how you treat their moms and how you treat their mom is teaching them something about that because that's the role you've been in where you abdicated or not God has made the marriage a, a mystery of a gospel proclamation Moms, what are you teaching your kids about the bride of Christ and how she treats her groom and the importance for them of submitting to their savior? Problems in marriage come when the gospel is not central in your marriage. And if your marriage is in trouble, ask, where is the gospel in this? What level are we putting? Were we inserting the gospel? Is it, is it the foundation of all that we do? Are we, or are we doing our own thing and then trying to bring a little, a little bit of Jesus into it? Where's the gospel in your home? Is it central? Is it, is it, is it determining everything that you do? And when you look for the gospel, don't start by looking for the gospel in the other person, right? That's nor- normally really good when someone else flubs their lines, right? Don't start pointing out, well, she, I tell you what the problem is. She's not submitting. Don't start by saying, well, I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you what the problem is. He's not a lot like Jesus. That's why I'm not submitting. Don't start doing that. How are you displaying the gospel? Because that, that's really the most troubling thing about marriage. Your marriage is in trouble if the gospel isn't being preached through you in that marriage. So what do we do? What do we do if we look at this and we think, well, great, Chris, all you've shown me is that I have failed at this miserably uh, and I don't know how much time I have left and I don't know if I should just go, well, uh, maybe God will recast me Uh, or, you know, someone else will come in for season two of this. What do you do? What do you do if you if you think, man, I have stunk as a husband or I have, if you're looking at this and all you're thinking is I've had this many years of marriage and I've never worried about the gospel. Maybe you've even submitted, but you didn't submit because you're trying to be like the church, because you think you're displaying the, 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 the bride. And maybe you, maybe you were a husband who was like, I do love my wife, but you didn't love her and give yourself up for her. You didn't bathe her with the water of the word, whatever it is. If you look at that and say, I failed at this. If, you, if you've marred the gospel, you just sort of look at this and go, well, man, I, I, I messed up. 
That was a great sermon. Showed me how wrong I've been for these, how long have we been married? 16 years almost? See, 16 years of marriage. Was that right? Yeah. Hey. Do you just look at that and say, well, I messed up? No. What do you do? What do you do if you've seen you failed? You do what you should have done from the beginning. You look to Christ. You center your eyes on him and then you get to work cleaning up the mess. Because there is no home so broken that Christ cannot mend its wounds, even when those wounds are self-inflicted. There is no wife too spotted and wrinkled that Christ cannot wash. There is no husband too unloving and selfish that Christ cannot turn into a sacrifice. The amazing thing is that the gospel that your home has failed is the same gospel that will repair your home. So take heart. Fix your eyes on that gospel. And see, it's, it's been in there the whole time. Your failure has been in its pages the whole time. See a husband who washes a bride. What bride needs washing? Not a bride who is perfect. Not one who is already clean, but one stained with sin. One who has messed up her role as wife. One who has messed up his role as displaying the the picture of Jesus Christ. It is a wife that needs washing. A husband who hasn't been washing. The whole picture of the gospel you're trying to model is one that trusts in a God who doesn't just fix things, but who fixes people. You look at that and you go, well, how do I know that's what what God is going to do with my marriage? How do I know that's what he's going to do with my home? Maybe it's for all these other people that didn't mess up as bad as I have. I mean, I've got, I've, I've been married for this long. I don't have, I don't even have enough time to make up for it by matching how long I haven't done it. How do I know he's going to do this for us? How do I know this isn't for just some other marriage? It's probably more important than mine. How do you know God's going to do that? secret that's what he's doing today that's what this is that's what this time has been i mean that conviction that encouragement whatever it may be that's that's the bridegroom washing the bride that's the 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 father leading the home that's the That's Christ doing what he promised he would do. So don't be discouraged if you see, I haven't been what I'm supposed to be. Take heart, fix your eyes on Christ, and then get to work. He'll be with you the whole time. Let's pray. Father, there is a weightiness, God, to what we're looking at. There is a... Whenever we talk about our jobs displaying the gospel, Father, there's always a feeling of insufficiency. And and we did not deserve these roles. We did not earn them. They are by grace given to us. And so, Father, I pray that as we see what I'm supposed to be in my home, and if I see my job as husband is to do these things, because I don't just, I don't just have to be a husband that shows a good work ethic, and I don't just have to be a husband who, who even just loves his wife. I have to be a husband who loves her and gives myself up for her, who sacrifices everything for her holiness, who bathes her, 
that she might be without spot or wrinkle, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's my job. And Father, for these wives to show them that their job, their job is to submit to their husbands as Christ submits to the church. To display a picture of how the bride feels about her bridegroom. And Father, we've got roles and our homes are proclaiming these gospels. And Father, I pray that you would, by your word, I'm so thankful that's what you're doing, that you would, through your word, be leading us in how to live in our homes. And you'd be even showing us, Father, that we've been doing it wrong. That's okay. That's the washing that happens. And then, Father, as we're washed, may we, may we get to action by being obedient to what you call us to do. It is your grace that put us in this role. And it's your grace that will sustain us. It's your grace that has shown us where we've messed up. And it's your grace that has shown us what is the right thing to do. So may we cling to you and may we get to work. Because we're acting this out every day, whether we intend to or not. We are saying something about our Savior every day. May what we say be something splendid. Be something glorious. And it will certainly be something that is for our good. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.